it's not fair. That's an expression we've all heard many times, isn't it? If you are a teacher or a parent of school-aged children or a sports coach, uh, you will have had this accusation leveled against you at some point, uh, maybe even on a regular basis. Uh, Well, irrespective of individual situations, which may or may not be fair, in general terms, it's a true statement. It's not fair. Life isn't fair. The world isn't fair. I mean, ultimately, everyone will be treated fairly by God, and it's comforting to know that. But I don't think that anyone would deny that right now, the world is not a fair place. For example, almost all Australian children receive a primary education. Uh, Only 10% of children uh, in Somalia receive a primary education. The current life expectancy in Australia is 83.5 years. In the Central African Republic, it's 53 years. That's a difference of more than 30 years. That's not fair. Uh, Globally, the richest 1% own nearly half of the world's wealth. That's not fair. The world is not a fair place. Now, if you think back to the series we did last on the minor prophets, uh, you'll remember that there's a thread that runs right the way through the books of the prophets, and that is that Israel was not a just society, and God hates injustice. The world isn't fair, but God is, and he hears the cries of the oppressed and the downtrodden. And injustice is usually, not always, but usually perpetrated by the rich and the powerful against the poor and the powerless. So James addresses uh, this part of his letter to a group that we'll call the rich oppressors. He says, now listen, you rich people. And it seems that he's talking to non-Christians here. Uh, If you go back to the beginning of James and work your way right the way through the book, uh, you'll see that he continually refers to believers as my dear brothers and sisters. But he also has a lot to say to the rich, who seem to be uh, a separate category. So who are these rich oppressors? Well, in James's world and in ours, they're people who maintain their lavish lifestyle at the expense of the poor. James isn't directing this at rich people in general. It's for rich people who exploit the poor. Uh, Often we tend to think in terms of rich and poor. Uh, But the Bible actually gives us four categories, uh, not two. Firstly, there are the godly poor. These are people who are poor through no fault of their own. Uh, They love the Lord and they live lives of faithful obedience to the Lord. Jesus, of course, would fall into this category, the godly poor. Uh, In worldly terms, Jesus was poor, as were his parents. Uh, An example from the Old Testament would be Ruth, uh, a very godly, loyal woman. Uh, And you remember that she had to go gleaning, and that was gathering the uh, the few crops that had been left at the side of the fields for the poor, and she did that to feed herself and her mother-in-law. So that's the godly poor. 
The next category of the four is the ungodly poor. Uh, These are people who are poor because of their own foolish choices and actions and decisions. And Proverbs has a lot to say about this kind of person. It talks about the sluggard and the lazy person who refuses to work, the drunkard, the gambler, and so on. For example, Proverbs 23, verse 21 says, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them in rags. So you've got the godly poor, and you've got the ungodly poor. You can probably guess what the other two categories are. Firstly, you've got the godly rich. These are people who are wealthy, but they use their wealth wisely and in a way that is pleasing to God. Um, Lydia from the book of Acts would be a good example of this. Lydia uh, was a wealthy businesswoman, uh, a dealer in uh, fine purple fabrics, and she opened her home up to the apostles. Uh, She was generous with her wealth, and she used it in a way to glorify God and to build the early church. So the final category is what? The ungodly rich. These are the Herods and the Pharaohs and the rich landowners who refuse to pay their workers. And James accuses the ungodly rich of two things, hoarding and exploitation. And we should pay close attention to this because even though we know and love Jesus and we are gradually being changed and transformed into his likeness, we might be guilty of some of these things. Firstly, hoarding. Verses 2 to 3. It says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. In other words, James is saying, you've got so much wealth that it's not even being used for anything. It serves no useful purpose. It could do, but you've just been storing it up for yourselves, and so it's just going to waste. Their riches are corrupted. Their treasures of grain and fruits were already rotting in their storehouses instead of being used to feed the hungry. Their clothes were moth-eaten because they'd not been used to clothe the naked. Their gold and silver had corroded. Now, we know that gold and silver uh, technically don't corrode, but this is illustrative of the fact that their wealth is sitting there doing nothing when it could have been used to alleviate a great deal of suffering that was caused by poverty. The message is simple. The message is simple. The right use of wealth is not to spend it on self-indulgence, but to do good with it. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, we we find what is probably the inspiration for James's uh, section here. Uh, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're not supposed to be storing up treasures on earth. We're not supposed to be hoarding. That doesn't mean that we're not allowed to have savings. Uh, There's nothing wrong with prayerfully planning for our financial security. Prayerfully planning for our financial security. Uh, The Bible encourages that. But it does mean that we have to be more generous. And I really believe that 
applies to every single one of us. We need to be more generous. Uh, Some churches, when they talk about generosity, it's like the more you give God, the more generous you are, the more you'll receive back. Well, if that's how you think it works, your giving ceases to be generous. Giving in the hope of receiving back an even greater reward is really just a a kind of a, a shrewd business transaction. We don't give to receive a blessing. We give to be a blessing. What was that? Take cover. We don't give to receive a blessing. We give to be a blessing. One commentator, T.F. Lockyer, he said this about the group that James is addressing, these rich oppressors. He said, their pleasure was their all. They were pampering their lusts. Instead of making self a center from which under God all blessings should radiate, they made it a center to which all pleasures must converge. And I think this raises an interesting question for us. How do we live? How do we see our lives? and particularly our wealth and material possessions? Are we the center to to which all pleasures must converge? Is that how we see ourselves? Or are we the center from which God's blessings should radiate? How do we see ourselves? We're quite pampered here in Australia. Uh, Of course, uh, there are a lot of people who are doing it tough, a lot of people who are really struggling, but the average Australian is pretty comfortable. And when I read that line, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, I thought, yeah, that's actually not so far from the truth. Do you know that here in Australia, over 5 million tonnes of food ends up in landfill each year? That's the equivalent of 9,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. And these are government statistics, by the way. One in five bags of food shopping ends up in the bin. 20% of all the food we buy gets chucked. That equates to $3,800 worth per household per year. Our wealth is literally rotting away. And that's just the food. Not even mention all the stuff we got piled up in our garages. Uh, We buy so much rubbish that we don't need, and then we hold on to it. We're not the rich oppressors that James is addressing, but with a little less greed and a little more thought, we could be less wasteful and more generous. So that's hoarding. Now we come to exploitation. Not only were these ungodly rich hoarding their wealth instead of using their money for good, They were actively exploiting the poor. Their wealth came at the expense of the poor. Verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The rich were not paying their workers, and God had repeatedly warned his people about this very thing. For example, Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 to 15. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. 
Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you'll be guilty of sin. This is the tyranny of the rich, when they take advantage of the poor and the powerless and the vulnerable. And it's always existed in virtually every society. There are endless examples of this from history. Uh, The Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt, the transatlantic slave trade, serfdom in Russia, and although not technically slaves, serfs were completely at the mercy of the wealthy landowners. Workhouses in the UK in the 17 and 1800s where men, women, and children would just work their fingers to the bone because they couldn't pay off their debts. Uh, Today, there's still child labor and forced labor in many parts of the world. There's still slavery on a massive scale, actually on a bigger scale than the world has ever seen. Uh, Here in Australia, one in four casual workers, uh, sorry, one in four workers is a casual worker. And more than half of casual employees report having no guaranteed hours. Now, if you're living hand to mouth and you, uh, you only just have the money to get by, not knowing even how many hours you're going to be given is really stressful. It's no way to live. The poor and the vulnerable have always been exploited. There are endless examples of this from history, and it's still going on today. There is no country in the world where the poor are not exploited in some way. And at this point, you might be thinking, well, I don't exploit anyone, so I guess that's me off the hook. And again, we're not the rich oppressors, but we are still implicated because we're part of a global system that allows a privileged minority to live in relative luxury, a lifestyle that is underpinned by the labors of people who live and work in the most appalling, impoverished conditions. And most people in this church, uh, not all but most, would fall into the uh, privileged minority category. You might say, well, there's nothing I can do about the global economic system. And that might be true. But there are things that we can do on a small scale, and we'll come back to those. But first, I think as Christians, it's really important that we know what's going on. We should be informed. We should understand this issue of exploitation. Jesus was especially interested in the poor and the broken and the downtrodden. And so should we be. I came across the U.S. Department of Labor's 2018 list of goods produced by child labor and forced labor. And it made for really shocking reading. The list of products and countries is enormous. And I'm going to give you a few examples, and I'll quote directly from the report. Toys. Both child labor and forced labor are found in the manufacturing of toys in China. The toys in our children's hands may have been handled by another child, one for whom work takes the place of play. Makeup. Children in India face health and safety hazards mining mica, a mineral commonly found in lipstick, eyeshadow, face powder, and nail polish. Clothes. Labor abuse of children and adults in garment manufacturing occurs in numerous countries from South America to Southeast Asia, from simple t-shirts to luxury evening wear. Your clothes may have been cut, stitched, or embellished 
by an exploited worker. Coffee and sugar. There is evidence of child labor or forced labor in sugarcane and coffee harvesting in a combined 25 countries worldwide. Workers, some of them trafficked or in debt bondage, toil for long hours in the heat. They often lack protective equipment, increasing the risk of physical injury and exposure to chemicals. Gold. Children mine gold underwater or along river shorelines using oxygen tubes to breathe. They process gold using mercury, a poisonous substance which causes irreversible damage to their health. 22 countries are known to use child labor or forced labor in gold. Cell phone. Uh, children in the Democratic Republic of the Congo labor in harsh and dangerous conditions to mine cobalt ore, an essential, uh, a mineral essential to the rechargeable lithium-ion batteries in our cell phones, laptops, and electric cars. And when I did some further uh, research into the mining of cobalt, I discovered that children as young as six work for up to 24 hours at a time in dark tunnels that are prone to collapse. They earn $1.80 per day, and some of that will invariably have to go towards bribes to bribe the government officials that are there to prevent the uh, child exploitation. Between 2016 and 2018, market prices for cobalt ore rose by 300%. None of that filtered down to those workers. I don't have a screen here today, uh, but a picture paints a thousand words. And I would encourage you, when you get home, Google child labor and see with your own eyes the appalling conditions that children are working in around the world. Children who should be at school or who should be out playing. I found it really upsetting. It, it is a horrendous evil. So what can we do about all this? What is the Christian response? I don't know about you, but when I hear this kind of thing, I often feel overwhelmed. I hate to think that some of the products in my home have been, uh, or even on my person, have been produced by exploiting the poor and the vulnerable. And that probably is the case for all of us. Some of our products have been produced in this way. Maybe some of the things we have on us today but the scale of the problem seems so huge, it, it kind of paralyzes us, doesn't it? We think, well, what on earth can I do about this? Well, the ungodly rich, the rich oppressors that James was speaking to, are guilty of hoarding and of exploitation. And actually, there's a lot we can do to minimize our hoarding, and there's a lot we can do to fight against exploitation. Firstly, when we begin to understand that a lot of the things that we buy and consume and take for granted, when we understand that they may have been produced in ways that exploits other human beings, we might, might look at some of those things and think, you know what? I can do without it. I don't need quite this much stuff. I can live more simply. Maybe even divert some of the money that we would have spent towards being a blessing to others. That's what it means to live generously. We don't want to be storing up stuff for ourselves. We want to be pouring out blessings on others. Secondly, knowing the facts. 
Knowing the facts might make us think more carefully about what we're buying and where it comes from. When I started looking into this, within about 30 seconds, I managed to pull up the 2019 Ethical Fashion Report, which ranks clothing brands from A to F, A being the most ethical, F meaning that there is a good chance there's been child labor used at some point in that process. I looked up three similar stores, Big W, Kmart, and Target, and found that Kmart is currently the most ethical of the three, albeit by a fairly small margin. So we can choose to buy products that are more ethically produced. And there's good evidence that consumer choices are driving companies to be more ethical, to check where the raw materials and the component parts are coming from. Uh, Consumers can put pressure on big companies to be more ethical. Thirdly, there are children in schools and uh, people in churches and people all over the place who might dedicate their lives towards fighting against this kind of injustice. But if we don't talk about it, they may never get inspired. So it's important that we talk about it and we know what's going on. But it's not just child labor or forced labor in other parts of the world. People are being exploited in this country too. And to be honest, there's probably more that we can do closer to home. Do you own a business? How do you treat your employees? Are they well looked after? Are you a manager? What kind of a manager are you? Do you have the best interests of your team at heart? Are you prepared to stick your neck out for them? I came across this uh, letter from Joe Biden to his staff, and there's nothing, pol- there's nothing political about this. Uh, whatever you think of Joe Biden and his politics, uh, we can at least, I think, recognize that this is good management. Uh, this is what he wrote. I would like to take a moment to make something clear to everyone. I do not expect, nor do I want any of you, to miss or sacrifice important family obligations for work. Family obligations include, but are not limited to, family birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, any religious ceremonies such as first communions and bar mitzvahs, graduations, and times of need such as illness or a loss in the family. This is very important to me. In fact, I will go so far as to say that if I find out that you are working with me while missing important family responsibilities, it will greatly disappoint me. This has been an unwritten rule since my days in the Senate. Thank you all for your hard work. Sincerely, Joe Biden. If you're a manager, look out for your team. Care for them. In a sense, be a pastor to them, because that is the opposite of exploitation. Finally, be an advocate. Be an advocate. A lot of people in this country have a much tougher time of it because they are immigrants or they speak English as a second language, or they don't fully understand uh, the system, or all of the above. Uh, Right now, I'm working with someone who I believe is being exploited in the workplace. When we were based in a a socially deprived part of London, we used to come across this a lot. And uh, there was a guy in our church called Hugh. He's a wonderful man. He was a lawyer. And he did a lot of advocacy work for people who were having visa problems. And there were many occasions when people weren't getting a fair hearing because they didn't have the knowledge or the language skills 
to state their case clearly and properly. And on quite a number of occasions, uh, decisions got overturned and he prevented people from being deported who really shouldn't have been deported. Advocacy. You don't have to be a lawyer to be an advocate. If you hear of something or you see something that's just not right, don't ignore it. Stand up for that person who may not be able to stand up for themselves. It's not fair. The world is not a fair place. The rich oppressors of James's day and of ours are guilty of hoarding and exploitation. We worship a God who hates injustice. We worship a God who hates injustice. Jesus spent most of his time with the poor, the oppressed, the needy, the downtrodden, the marginalized. So let's reflect God's love and goodness out into the world by being the very opposite of hoarders and exploiters. Let's live generously and alleviate injustice whenever, wherever, and however we can. Let's change our mindset. So it's not about what we can accumulate for ourselves, bringing everything into the center. But let's pour out blessings on other people in every way that we possibly can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lament this world economic system that favors the rich and exploits the poor. We recognize that we have so much compared to uh, many, many other people living in other parts of the world and even here in our own country, in our own community. We pray, Father, that we will relinquish all our selfish attitudes, our desire to generate wealth and possessions for ourselves, but instead we'll be looking for every opportunity to pour blessings out upon others and to be a, a source of your blessing going out into the world. We pray that your blessings will radiate from us and from this church collectively. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.